great to see you, Purpose Church. Today we finish up our summer series from the book of Revelation, Dear Church. And oh, I am going to miss Revelation. I, I wonder if you are as well. God has just done a great thing through this series. I've gotten so much feedback on uh, what a blessing it's been, and I know it's been a blessing for me and such an encouragement. Well, we got a great series. We start next Sunday, and we're going to go from one great series to another one and just keep on uh, with what, how God is leading us and where he's leading us here at Purpose Church. Now today we come to the final two chapters of the book of Revelation and the final two chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And the title of today's message is All Things New. Again, based on Revelation chapters 21 and 22. God is going to make all things new. New. Don Piper, who's a Texas pastor who was pronounced dead by rescue workers after a 1989 car accident he was in. His car got crushed underneath, I think it was a semi uh, truck, big, big um, truck, uh, and uh, he got crushed underneath it and was declared dead at the scene for 90 minutes. And 90 minutes later, he springs back to life. And he believes he spent that time and writes about it in a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. He says, heaven is a real place. The more we know about it, the more we should anticipate it. As I've often suggested, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Irma Bombeck talks about how we should use our giftedness uh, for God's honor uh, in preparation for heaven. When I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say I used everything that you gave me. I love this quote by Rick Warren. He says, great people are just ordinary people who persist in doing the things other people don't feel like doing. And, that, and that's how we serve God this side of heaven in preparation for our reward in heaven. Is just, greatness comes from just ordinary people, but who persist in doing the things other people don't feel like doing, but with God's help we do. We persevere, we serve, we give, we share the gospel, we work for the kingdom of God in anticipation of eternity in heaven. This life is so short, there's so little time uh, to serve the Lord, we should maximize it in preparation for eternity in heaven. And then I love this quote by Desmond Tutu. He says, we may be surprised at the people we find in heaven. God has a soft spot for sinners. His standards are quite low. <laughs> His standards are quite low. But through the grace of Jesus Christ, uh, we can be there regardless of, uh, of how much mercy and grace that he has to show uh, to us. And I love this. Uh, Billy Graham said that his wife, Ruth, uh, wanted this inscription on her grave. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. She was out driving one day and saw this uh, sign on the highway. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. When God is finished molding us and making us and developing us, it'll be the end of his construction. And we all need to give grace to each other and be patient with each other uh, this side of heaven. 
Now I want to give you a, a picture's worth a thousand words of the difference between the old heaven and the old earth and the new heaven and the new earth. So here's, here's the old heaven and the old earth. Here's a player uh, between Yankees and Red Sox, and it's, it's at Fenway. It's in Boston. They're down by uh, four runs late in the game, and uh, one of the players hits another player, and this is what happens. So this is a picture of the old heaven and uh, the old earth. Now, let's compare that with the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, here's a little league game in Texas, a regional Southwest region championship, a little league championship, and a little leaguer hits another little leaguer on the head uh, with a pitch. And this uh, young man, Isaiah Jarvis, he's standing on first base, and he sees that the pitcher is getting emotional, maybe even crying. He's so upset that he hit him in the head. So he comes over, and this has gone viral all over the nation, this uh, beautiful act of sportsmanship. And, uh, and, he, and he was okay, and the pitcher was okay, and, and they're good friends. And Isaiah Jarvis was later um, interviewed, and uh, I, I love this when I saw his interview. First of all, he's got his cross in the background. Looks like the kind of thing you'd make at kids camp or Sunday school or children's ministries. Uh, he's got his cross back there. And uh, here's what I loved he said. He said, I was standing there on first base, and I just wanted to spread God's love. I just wanted to spread God's love. And so he walks over and comforts the guy that had hit him on the head with a baseball. So that's the difference between the old heaven and the old earth and the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, human history begins in a garden, and it ends in a city that is like a garden of paradise. We'll put our chart up here, and you'll see in the book of Genesis, heaven and earth were created. But then in the book of Revelation, a new heavens and a new earth are created. The sun is created in Genesis, but in Revelation, there's no need of the sun. The night is established in Genesis, but there's no night there. The seas are created, but in Revelation it says, there will be no more seas the curse is announced in Genesis, uh, the first book of the Bible. But now in the last book of the Bible, there is no more curse. First book of the Bible, Genesis, death enters history. No more death in Revelation. Uh, uh, human beings, men and women, are driven from the tree of life uh, in Genesis, but restored to paradise in the book of Revelation. Sorrow and pain begin in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, no more tears or pain in the book of Revelation. Now, you may wonder, there are a couple of things on here that we kind of like. And we're wondering why, for example, there's um, things like no more seas or, or no more night is on the thing. Seas here and, and no more uh, night, uh, no need of the sun and no night there in the book of Revelation. We don't mind the night because we have electricity but the dark was a difficult time for people in the ancient world. It was a dangerous time when the sun went down for people in antiquity. In the same way where it says there'll be no more seas. Well, we're a little bit disappointed. In the same way, we love the ocean. But for people in the ancient world, the sea was terrifying. And it presented for them danger and storms and separation. It separated people uh, from e each other. 
Now, when it says no more seas, it may just mean that the old sea is destroyed and the new sea is created. Or it could mean that now people can live on the three-fourths of the new earth's surface that was previously covered by salt water, and now there's room for many beautiful freshwater lakes, uh, even bigger than the Great Lakes, like Lake Michigan and Lake Superior uh, that we have in the Midwest. Now, the big question last Sunday when we studied the millennium in Revelation chapter 20, the big question we had is, is the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, is that literal? Will he literally reign on pl planet Earth before the new heavens and the new Earth are created? Or is it symbolic? Is it spiritualized? And the millennium, we're in it right now as we share Christ with other people and as Jesus changes our lives and then Christ comes back and he creates the new heaven and the new earth. And could I just add a short PS to what we studied last Sunday? Now remember, uh, our guiding uh, principle has been in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and in all things charity. So in the essentials of the faith, uh, for example, Jesus is coming back. We should have unity. That's something clearly taught in the scriptures. We all should be unified on that. But in non-essentials, the things that aren't so clear in scripture, we can have liberty. And so we've presented a variety of different views and said uh, people that love Jesus and study the Bible can come up to different conclusions about the exact order of events or exactly how it's going to happen. So in essentials, like the fact that Jesus is coming back, unity, in non-essentials, like exactly how it's going to happen, we have liberty, and in all things, the thing that makes it work is charity or love uh, for each other. So we talked about a literal millennium versus a, um, a spiritualized millennium. And you might wonder, why would I believe in a literal millennium, uh, being premillennial like I am, uh, why would I believe in a literal millennium when most people in church history have believed in a symbolic um, millennium. They've been what we call amillennialists uh, down through uh, the centuries of the church. And uh, they believe that spiritually it's, it's Christ in us that is the millennium. And then Jesus comes back and he establishes the new heaven and the new earth. And it includes some of the greatest Christian thinkers in all of our history. People like John Calvin or Martin Luther or Augustine. And I have a huge respect for church history and for the 2,000 years of church history. I, to me, it's a very powerful thing to study God's Word, but then to ask the question, what have Christians for the last 2,000 years, what have they thought about this particular issue? And I, and I put tremendous weight on that. What have Christians thought about certain things and ways to interpret the Bible over the past 2,000 years? I, I am very careful, and I would say to you as, as, as our church, be very careful of somebody who comes up with something brand new after 2,000 years. Be, be very, very cautious about that. So with that in mind, um, when we come to the millennium, why do we have, um, what do we have, what knowledge do we have that the Christians of the past didn't have? Why would um, little old Glenn Gunderson dare to have a different opinion than John Calvin or Martin Luther or, or Augustine? It seems ludicrous. Well, here's what I would say, the, the new information that we have that they didn't have, and it's modern-day Israel. Modern-day Israel. May 14th, 1948, uh, was a game-changer. 
The miraculous way, and you know this is one of my favorite subjects, and I'll preach whole sermons on it every few years. You'll, you'll have me get off on it, either on a tangent or devote the whole sermon to it. How when you look in Scripture about how the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people scattered around the world, um, just completely broken and scattered, and how miraculously on May 14th, 1948, and some of your lifetimes, only eight years before I was born, just in a, in a day came back together as a nation. And then all the scriptures in great detail, given thousands of years before, there's some that you can even believe that they predict to the very day, uh, thousands of years before, to the very day, the day that Israel would come together as a nation. Um, it, it's, just, it's just stupendous to me. It's just miraculous. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that Israel today is a spiritual state. It's not. It's a secular state. I'm not saying that everything Israel does is just and is righteous and is fair. It, it is not. And yet we believe that there will come that time when God once again uses the literal nation of Israel. And uh, that's why I am premillennial um, as opposed to amillennial, although uh, some of my favorite people are amillennial, and some of the most brilliant people I know are amillennial, and some of the followers of Jesus I respect the most hold different positions. But the reason I hold on to the literal millennium and premillennial position is because of the new information that's happened within the last years, within the last century of Israel um, becoming a modern-day nation. Now, when we come to Revelation chapters 21 and 22, so chapter 20, big question, literal or spiritual or symbolic millennium? Well, now when we come to chapters 21 and 22, here's the big question. Will there be a literal new heavens and a literal new earth, or is the description that we find in these two chapters we're looking at symbolic for something awesome that we can't begin to comprehend. And so John just kind of uses illustrations of things that he knows about in order to describe something that's beyond uh, comprehension. Now, let me just say, in essentials and non-essentials liberty, all right? Essentials, we're going to be in heaven someday if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. In non-essentials, doesn't mean they're not important. We study them, we have convictions on them, but we could have liberty. And, and, and this is one of those where either option is fantastic. <laughs> door number one and door number two are both wonderful. Door number one is spectacular, and door number two is fabulous. Both are wonderful options. Uh, first of all, the literalist interpretation. Some take the descriptions in these chapters fairly literally as applied to a brand new planet and a brand new universe, which will be created after the close of the millennium for premillennialists, or else at the second coming of Christ, uh, some uh, millennialists. That's the literalist view. A literal new heaven, new earth, new universe uh, created. It's going to be tangible. It's, it, it's, it, it's going to be material. It's going to be uh, just like this life, only perfect. It's going to be uh, a new heaven, new earth, uh, just like we're experiencing today, but with no imperfections. 
And then there's the, and this is my position. This is my position. And I would say it's even the position, even for amillennials, premillennials, postmillennials, it's, it's, it's probably the position for most um, Christians. But then there's the non-literalist or the symbolic view. Some spiritualize the whole vision, applying it to a non-material state of existence in heaven. So this is, it's not a, a literal new heaven and new earth, but it's more of a spiritualized, um, non-physical experience in heaven. Both are wonderful. Both are fabulous. Now, the citizens of the city, we meet them in Revelation 21. They are God's, they are God's people. Uh, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Oh, I love, I love, I love that verse. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Whenever your heart has been broken, uh, when you, whenever you've been disappointed, you've experienced pain, and you shed a tear in the middle of the night, and you think you're all by yourself, you're not. God is right there with you. He remembers. He's gonna sit next to you in heaven. And I believe he's going to personally wipe every tear from your eyes. You are not alone. He loves you. He's with you. And he wipes away every tear. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Um, uh, verse uh, going on uh, beyond um, verse uh, five there. Uh, he says he'll wipe away every tear that you've shed. Uh, the earth in this vision is restored to a condition like that which prevailed in the Garden of Eden uh, before uh, the fall and before sin came into the world. The citizens of heaven are a satisfied people. Uh, verse six, he said to me, it is done it, 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 is, it is done. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Back in chapter 16, when Babylon the Great, the symbol of the anti-God culture of this world, was judged, brought down, destroyed, God said, it is done. Jesus on the cross, it is done. The fall of Babylon the Great, it is done. And now as the purposes of God in world history are completed, Christ proclaims, it is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, uh, the letters of the Greek alphabet. I'm the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This promise right here is especially meaningful uh, to Californians. Uh, these heavenly citizens are an overcoming people. Um, moving on uh, to verses seven and eight. These heavenly citizens are an overcoming people. Verse seven, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, 
Now, when we see this word cowardly, we don't mean being afraid of the dark or, 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 or being, you know, afraid in battle or any of these natural uh, human emotions. What do we mean by the cowardly? The cowardly here are those that because of the pressures of the culture around them become ashamed of the gospel. Uh, they just want to fit in with the people around them. They, they don't want to stand out as followers of Christ. They, they, they cave in. They give in. They begin to water down um, the gospel. They compromise with the surrounding culture. They, they, they try to make it easier to be a follower of Christ by watering down God's Word so that it's less embarrassing or, or that it's less challenging. And so that's what they mean here by saying, but the cowardly, uh, the unbelieving, it leads to disbelief. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, uh, those who practice magic arts. This is why I would avoid anything to do with the occult. Uh, psychic hotlines or Ouija boards or horoscopes, uh, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You know, back to this word cowardly. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I know it's hard to follow Jesus. I know sometimes uh, following Jesus is unpopular. I know certain convictions taught in God's Word, the Bible, are unpopular with our surrounding culture. But let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power, the power of God, the only power of the God, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone uh, who believes. And then the character of the city uh, in Revelation 21.9 through 22.5. I just want to focus on one verse. And it's chapter 21, verse 21. The 12 gates of the city, of, of the, the new Jerusalem in heaven, of heaven, were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. And I love what one Bible uh, commentator wrote, Steve Gregg. He's one of the ones that we've been using. He writes, unlike the previously named gems, pearls are created organically. A rough grain of sand irritating the tissues of the oyster causes the secretion of a substance that transforms the source of irritation, transforms the source of irritation, transforms the source of, of pain or persecution or difficulty or irritation into a pearl. The pearl thus may stand for affliction turned to benefit. Even as silver and gold refined by fire are used in Scripture uh, with the same, are used for the same concept. Um, the gates are the means of entry into the city. If the pearl is understood in this light, we have a picture of one of Paul's preaching themes. Acts 14, verse 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, we're going through hard things. You're going through hard things. It's difficult. It's hard. I know it's hard, but it's producing a pearl. Uh, through your trouble, through your difficulty, God is creating a pearl. He's creating something beautiful, 
And even though we've got to go through many hardships, we are on our way to entering in to heaven, the kingdom of God. And then the challenge of the city. Uh, we must keep God's word. Uh, verse uh, 6 through 10, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. In the Old Testament, Daniel is commanded to seal up the words of his prophecy because the events prophesied were far in the future. But here John is told not to seal the words of this prophecy because Jesus could come back at any time. Verse 11, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. Um, when Jesus comes back or when we die, there is no time to change. Uh, we could die at any moment. Christ could come back at any moment. So he says, you're not going to have any time to change who you are. So be ready now, follower of Jesus. Be, be ready now, Purpose Church. Let's be living the way we want to live when he comes back because he could come back at any time. We have the responsibility of serving the Lord. Verse 12, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then we must keep our lives uh, clean. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Uh, we do this by committing our lives to Christ. And after we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, out of love and response, out of love for Him, we are living clean lives and we try to wash our robes and with God's help live, live clean lives as much as we can. Now if we fail, if we, if, we, if we make a mistake, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we accept Christ, but then out of love for him, we want to live clean and righteous and godly lives that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. And then verse 15, outside are the dogs. Now, um, this doesn't mean uh, animals. Uh, I actually believe, and that's a subject for another time, that there will be animals in heaven. I, I believe there's certain Old Testament passages that seem to indicate that there will be animals in heaven. But that's not what this is talking about. Dogs was a phrase used for anybody who was a false teacher. It meant anybody who is teaching God's word in a false or twisted uh, manner. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices uh, falsehood. And then verse 16, I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Uh, the morning star is a bright planet, such as Venus, that is seen in the eastern sky just before sunrise, just before the dawn, just, just before uh, Christ returns. And then we must keep expecting Jesus uh, to return. Verse 17, the spirit of the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Uh, there are similar warnings at the beginning of the Bible in the, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, uh, right towards the beginning. Uh, in the middle of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, and now we have it here at the end of the Bible in Revelation. We need to be so careful uh, not to ignore the parts of the Bible that we don't like or water them down to make them less offensive to our culture or make them fit into our lifestyle uh, rather than bending our lives to God's Word. Let's bend our lives Let's bend what we believe to God's Word rather than watering it down or taking away from it or adding it to bend it to who we are. Let's bend ourselves towards uh, God's Word. Warren Rearsby writes, when the church lives in expectancy of Christ's return, such an attitude provokes ministry and evangelism as well as purity of heart. We want to tell others of the grace of God, a true understanding of Bible prophecy should both motivate us to obey God's Word and to share God's Word with a lost world. And then the final two verses of these final two chapters of the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. He who testifies to these things, Jesus, says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now let's do some spiritual business before we finish with our study, our series of the book of Revelation. Um, let's go before the Lord in prayer. And wherever you are, sitting in your living room or listening later on in your car or sitting by your computer, the first thing to make sure is have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Would you say three words with me? Sorry, thanks, and please. First of all, oh God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life and the ways that I have failed other people, have not loved them as I should, have hurt others um, inadvertently and sometimes intentionally. I'm sorry that I've fallen short of your perfect standards, but I'm sorry. Say the word sorry. And then say the word thanks. Thanks be to Jesus Christ for providing a way for me to be made right, for my robes to be washed clean. Thank you for your death on the cross and your resurrection. Now please come into my heart 
and be my Savior and my Lord. Just say those three words silently with me as I say them out loud. Just say them in your heart to God. Just talk to God and say, God, I'm sorry, but, G but G Jesus, God, thank you, and please, please be my Savior and my Lord. Now, secondly, is there something that you would be embarrassed by if Jesus came back this moment? Is there something you're ashamed of that, you're, um, that you'd be uncomfortable if Christ returned? Take a moment now, and, and, and Lord, I just confess the things in my life that I would not want to be thinking, doing, or saying when you return. And I repent of those things. I turn from those things. Would you help me to be living in a way that, that, that I would be happy to see you return? I, I can be enthusiastic about it. Oh, God, help me to deal with those areas in my life. God, help me to serve you. Uh, is my life reflecting the priorities of heaven? As we've gone through Revelation, does, does my life, the way I live it, the, the way I spend my time, the, the things I think about, the things I think are important, my priorities, the way I handle my finances, are all these things, do they reflect the priorities of heaven? Do they reflect the priorities of Revelation? Oh God, help me to more and more live for heaven and not so much for here. The Bible says where your treasures, there, your heart will be also. Where your mind is, where your thoughts are. Um, Lord, help my priorities to be heavenly. And then finally, is there somebody you need to share Jesus with before he comes back? Who's that person that you need to say, God, give me an opportunity to either share Jesus with them or invite them uh, here to church so that Pastor Glenn or Pastor Eric or, 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 or someone else can share Jesus with them. Oh, who are those people that I want to invite to join me in heaven? Oh, God, thank you that someday, as hard as this life is and as messed up as it is, and as difficult as the old earth and the old heavens are, thank you that someday you're going to make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, Amen and Amen.